So in Luke 15, I'll be starting in verse 1, and we'll be reading all the way through the end. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was hungry, but, but he was angry, and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, um, sorry, I seem to have lost my place. But when the son of, uh, son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Um, this is an old passage I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, 
maybe one of the most famous of all parables that Jesus spoke in his time on earth. But I want us to um, do our best to still be surprised by it a little bit today, to kind of step into the shoes of the people who are present and to think about what it is that Jesus really is saying here. Um, before we get into kind of the, the context of the passage itself, I want us to think about a, a broader context. You could call it a theological context, but just, just kind of a bigger picture of what's going on here. Uh, when we look at this passage, we see something really unique among the world's religions. Uh, we see not only the Father and think of maybe the fact that we're one of the world's great monotheistic religions, or we're in it as Christians, but we see something particular about our own faith in that we are part of this wonderful sort of monotheism which has a, a trinity, which has three persons in one God. And our one God doesn't stand back yelling for us to come back to him or, or frowning at us because of our disobedience. Rather, this one God who is complex, who is, who is three in one, he sends his own son to look for us. And it's his own son who is speaking in this passage. It's God himself who is talking here. So everything we see here is, is kind of against this background or, or springing out of, out of this uh, Trinitarian ground, out of this foundation. And with that, as, with that in mind, I want us to consider that really this, this passage, while, it, while it's rich and it has more for us, it's really not hard to understand. You know, it's a, it's a pretty simple and clear sort of picture that Jesus is giving to the people around him. It's a beautiful picture, but it's simple. And to try to talk a lot about this parable, uh, it, it can almost take away from the beauty of it. Right? Jesus has sort of painted something here for us. And I think it's appropriate entirely for us to, to try to place ourselves in the story and, and to step back for a moment and not try to dissect everything. Not everything in here is a one-to-one. -one. You know, it's not all pure analogy. Uh, it's a story Jesus is telling us to teach us something about himself and about God. Uh, and as simple as this is, and as much as I would want us to just read it, we're, we're not just reading it, um, God has called us in our worship services to consider what his word says to us and, and to try as much as we can to plumb its depths. And yet as simple a story as Jesus tells, as simple as, the th as these three stories are, and as much as they all have in common, and, and there's a real um, elegance to them and a unity to them and a beauty to them, and as much as they move us, it, it should be easy almost uh, to preach this, and yet it's, it's not, actually, because I want us to consider what Jesus really is saying here. As we look at how Jesus is talking to two different groups of people here, and what he's saying God is like, what he's saying this father is like to a son who did not love him, to a son who left him and abandoned him, we should be picking up on the idea that the gospel is free and liberal. The love of God is generous and big. And it's hard to do it justice in two hours of preaching. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's really hard to do it justice in like 30 minutes. 
But this teaches us what God is like. And all three of these figures or these parables have this in common, that something is lost, and the one who values it looks for it and rejoices over it when he finds it. Or we've got a sheep, a coin, and then finally a person. And as we come to the context of the passage itself, we need to consider that to see what, what is going on. What is it Jesus wants us to see here? So we look at uh, who is speaking. It's the second person of the Trinity. God himself is speaking here. We've got to keep that in mind. And then who is he speaking to? Well, he's in the presence of tax collectors and sinners, and then these grumbling Pharisees and scribes. So there's two different groups here. He's speaking to two different groups of people and very different from each other. And these grumbling Pharisees and scribes, uh, religious leaders of their day, they are upset that Jesus is doing what we know is exactly what he came to do. They're upset that he's receiving sinners and eating with them. They're mad that he would look on people with love and show them mercy. Maybe that's an oversimplification of their position, but for today, it suffices, and it's certainly part of what's going on with them. See, the reason they're mad about it is because, again, they're religious leaders in their culture, and to eat with someone in that culture was like admitting them into friendship, right? You're you're taking on a relationship with them that is noticeable. The Pharisees and the tax collectors, sorry, the Pharisees and the scribes have noticed that Jesus is eating with sinners and tax collectors. To them, that would, that would besmirch their name. They wouldn't be seen with somebody like that. They wouldn't associate with somebody like that. See, uh, not only were they religious leaders, but they were religious leaders who very much prided themselves on being set apart from other people. And not only were there tax collectors here who were looked at as uh, traitors to their own kind, there were sinners here which is often a word used by uh, the Pharisees, especially in the Gospels, as kind of a euphemism to describe a group of people that they would consider sexually immoral, or who were sexually immoral. It's not, not just a matter of opinion. And so they wouldn't have been seen with these people. They wouldn't want to be associated with them because they wouldn't want to be thought of as traitors, And they wouldn't want people to think that they were doing the sorts of things that the people they were hanging out with were doing. They don't want to be seen with them. They don't want their names associated with them. And they can't believe that Jesus, as a religious leader, is hanging out with these people. He's just kicking it on the weekends with them and doesn't seem to think much of it. They're who he spends a lot of his time with. His disciples and sinners and tax collectors are kind of his main companions. So, these sinners and these tax collectors, they just keep coming to Jesus, right? As we read at the beginning of the passage, uh, they're they're coming, they're they're drawing near to him actively to hear him, to hear what he has to say. Whatever he's saying, it must be good news to them because they just keep coming. And yet the Pharisees see this and they think, this guy can't be some sort of prophet or teacher in Israel, Look at who he hangs out with. But then in response, Jesus doesn't yell at them or drive them away. He doesn't, he doesn't get up at them and get in their face and yell at them. Right? He doesn't go on like a Facebook rant about how awful they are. 
He tells them a story. He paints a picture of the goodness of God. And he says, in a sense to them, who did you think God would hang out with? Who did you think God had come for or would come for when he came to make things right? He puts a question to them. If you lost one sheep out of a hundred, wouldn't you look for it? No shepherd is going to say to this question, by the way, well, I've got 99. I've got plenty of meat and wool. No, Jesus expects that they know the answer, right? He, he's expecting a certain type of answer. No, you don't do that. Jesus says, no, the shepherds don't do that. They leave the 99 and they go look for the one. And no woman who has lost one-tenth of her treasure, one, one out of ten coins, is just going to say, well, I've got nine. Like, that's still plenty of tacos. That's still lots of pizza. I can still go out with my friends. No, imagine losing a tenth of your life savings, something very valuable to you. She looks for it diligently. But then more important than anything else, more important than the sheep or the coin or anything else we can imagine, a real person is lost. And just one out of two, we get this sense of kind of like a rising or an ascending importance in these stories that Jesus is telling. And actually, as we're going to go on to look at here in this story, it's really more like two out of two sons are lost. Uh, We're going to approach this parable not just as the parable of the prodigal son, but as the parable of two sons. So each of these parables teaches us the same main point, but we're focusing on that third one, um, this, this parable of two sons. And in it, the younger of two sons, as we read, he comes to his father and he asks for his inheritance. Now, maybe that doesn't sound so bad to you. Maybe you think, well, he's just like asking for help to buy his first house. Well, this is a very different time in a very different culture. And remember what he's asking for. He's not asking his dad for some help or a gift or a loan. He's asking for his inheritance, which is what you get when somebody dies. Right? In effect, he's saying, I'm done with you. Can I just have what's mine and go? He says, essentially, I don't need you anymore. Not if I can have that. Not if I can have my inheritance. Then I don't need you and I don't love you. And I don't want to be with you. And so he leaves. And very quickly, it seems, he wastes what he was given. He squanders it. He puts it to no use. And when a famine hits the land that he's living in, there's no way to gather more. There's no way to find uh, any profitable work, even, if he were going to do that. And so he goes and he gets himself hired by a foreigner, which would have been a big deal to a Jew at this time. And he gets sent out into the fields to feed pigs. Again, a big Jew, a humiliating job for a Jew. And he wishes that he could just eat what they're eating. He finds himself really, really hungry, wishing he could eat the same food that an animal he uh, knows makes him unclean. He's, He's wishing he could share a meal with that pig. So he's humiliated, he's hungry, he's in bad shape, but eventually he comes to himself, as the passage says. And he he thinks to himself, what am I doing? 
What have I done? Even the servants in my father's house have enough bread to eat. I've been a fool. I've been a rotten scoundrel is what I've been. I'll just go back and ask to be a servant. At least my dad will take me back as a servant. And, it, and, and then at least I'll have some food. And he gets almost home, almost, to confess his wrongdoing. And who's looking for him but his dad? And his dad doesn't even let him get all the way home. He, he runs out to meet him. Right, you've got to imagine in this in this country, in this culture, right? He's got to like gird up he, his, uh, his loins is how the Old Testament would say it. He's got to pull up his robes and, and bundle them together and he takes off running for his son and it doesn't look very dignified. It's not something that is common for an older and wealthy man to do to run out onto the road. He's got servants he could send. He could just wait for his son to get here. His son's the one who left. And yet he gets out and he pulls up his robes and he runs to him and he embraces him and he kisses him and he starts yelling back into the house, somebody play some music, somebody kill the fattened calf, my son is home. He's happy to see him and he doesn't even wait. He doesn't wait for his confession. He, his son starts talking. He says, dad, I've, I've sinned against you. And he goes, okay, okay. He's home, somebody. Get ready, we're throwing a party. My son is home. He doesn't even let him finish talking. Jesus wants us to see here what his love for sinners is like. And if we can walk away from, from today's service with one thing, that's what I want us to see is that Jesus loves sinners, that God the Father, God loves sinners. He loves us. With this type of love. So his dad runs out to, to meet his son Right? And, and the parable is a little bit different here uh, than the first two because he didn't go looking for him, not in the same way. Right? Jesus, uh, all too good a storyteller, is aware of the complexity of human relationships. So he's not just a shepherd looking for his son and he's, he's not a woman searching for a coin. He's a father waiting for his son to come home. But as we know, it wasn't a passive sort of waiting. As we've already talked about, Jesus came from his home in heaven, came into a world of suffering and disease and grief to be with us. And his suffering, in his, his searching took him into suffering. His searching took him to the cross for us. This story is more complex because it starts to look a little bit more real, a little bit more like our situation. And while we read this story, maybe it's easy to think, well, like the dad was still just at home. I personally, if you're reading the story, I think it's hard not to imagine that the father is out on the porch straining his eyes on the road to see if anybody's coming. And that's how I read this. I, I, I don't want us to read too much into the Bible. Right? There's some dangers with that. But we, I imagine that this father is out on his porch every night watching the horizon looking for some sort of figure. How else is he the first one to see him? To run out, to have to go to the road. He wasn't inside. He wasn't inside enjoying his wealth and eating the fat calf himself. He was hoping and longing for his son to come home. 
So Jesus wants everyone present at this table full of sinners and tax collectors, surrounded by Pharisees and scribes. He wants them to see what the, God, what the love of God is like, how his love is prodigal, how it's big and, and lavish, and how it's overflowing. Um, if we could put this searching in terms of another story uh, for kids who are here or anybody who just likes this movie as much as I do. If you've seen Finding Nemo, we get a great picture of this in Finding Nemo. What happens? Right, there's this little fish named Nemo. Uh, he's got trouble swimming because he's got a small fin. And he wants to prove to his dad, eventually becoming rebellious enough to, to do so, that he can do anything, that he doesn't need his dad. And Nemo swims out into deep water in front of his dad and in front of a whole bunch of other fish to touch the butt. Uh, it's, a, it's a boat, but in the movie, you know, they're fish, so they don't get human stuff. So he swims out into deep water to touch the boat. And he goes out and he touches it, and he's looking at his dad all mad, and nobody can believe he's out there. And then he gets scooped up by a scuba diver, and he gets taken away from his dad. And his dad swims out to rescue him, but he gets knocked unconscious, and he wakes up, and he doesn't know where he is, but what he knows is that he's got to go get his little boy. And so he searches the whole ocean for his little boy. He faces death several times. He thinks he gets eaten several times. And he just keeps fighting and he just keeps swimming and he just keeps searching for his little boy, Nemo. And that's so much like the love of God here that he would send his own son into the world to look for us. This wasn't a passive waiting of the father. Jesus came looking. So, in every story, there is a party for the thing found. That's an important part, actually. Maybe we think like, oh, they're just kind of glad. They're just, they're just happy. Like, this is, no one really throws a party for finding their sheep, though. Like, this must just be something shepherds do all the time. Okay, but look at, look at the party that the father throws for his son when he gets home. You don't kill the fattened calf every day. This is a big deal. This father is celebrating. It says in the first two parables that the angels in heaven rejoice when even just one sinner repents. There's, there is rejoicing in heaven. The father is thrilled when people come home. The angels are singing. God is not just honoring the terms of a contract. He's not saying, okay, they finally met their terms. Now we can carry on with business as usual. He's not grinning and bearing it uh, through Thanksgiving dinner as he just deals with family that he's got to be around, but he doesn't really want to be around. He is bear-hugging you and kissing you and calling back into the house Start cutting the turkey. Get out the good wine. My daughter is here. She has come home. If we have a hard time dealing with Jesus, if we have a hard time dealing with God, if we feel far from him and we don't want to or don't know what to do about coming to him or are not sure if we want to come to him, read the story again. <laughs> 
This is designed not just to shove it in the Pharisee's face. It's silly. This is designed to teach us what God is like. This is what God is like. This is the love of Christ. We know that we can repent. We can turn because we'll be welcomed. We'll be embraced and kissed. No matter where you are in a spiritual journey or a relationship with God, we can turn to God. We can turn to Jesus, trust him to give us everything we need to be all satisfying, to be all the righteousness we need before God. We can trust that God is ready and willing to take us in and actually has been searching for us the whole time. We can build our life on this as Christians. We can know that no matter where we are, this is, this is the foundation of our lives, the love of Jesus, the love of God the Father who sent his Son for us. We can know that while we find ourselves sinning constantly, with every turn we are embraced. Even when we find ourselves several weeks into an argument with our spouse, when we find ourselves down a road we really didn't want to go down or did and now we're coming to ourselves and realizing I don't want to be here anymore. When we find ourselves far from God, we can turn and find him ready to embrace us. When we find ourselves in those, place, those places, um, I want us to remember this. I want us to remember the words of Bishop J.C. Ryle who wrote on this parable a long time ago when he said that God is far more willing to save sinners than they are to be saved. Remember what the love of the Father is like here for his Son. It's not a contract. He's not just doing the bare minimum. He is celebrating that his Son is home. When we find ourselves feeling far from God and we don't know what to do about it, think about this parable. Think about this parable and take advice from Marcus Mumford of Mumford and Sons. He says, it seems that all my bridges have been burned, but you say that's exactly how this grace thing works. It's not the long walk home that will change this heart, but the welcome I receive with every start. Every step of repentance, every step back toward God, every step continuing down that road of repentance is met with the embrace of Christ. Okay. It's like we said, this is a parable of two sons. There's just a little bit more. There's the other son. There is the son who is jealous and without love. He seems pretty unconcerned, actually mad that his brother has returned home. His brother has been estranged from the family, and yet when he returns, he's mad that his dad never let him have a party with his friends because he's been obedient all these years. And what the people Jesus is talking to need to see is that the younger brother was far from his dad in distance. He, he actually packed up and left. He was gone. And, and he was far from him for a long time. But they need to see, too, that even though the older brother has remained at home and has worked obediently for his dad, he's always been far from him in his heart. He makes no mention of celebrating with his father. 
He just wants to go party with his friends. And he seems to be so unlike his father. As we consider these two sons, maybe it's odd, but I think it's an appropriate question. Let's ask, who is more like their dad? Which of these two sons is more like their dad? I hope that one bothers us a little bit. The scribes and Pharisees are upset that Jesus is not acting as holy as they act. But they have failed to include mercy and compassion and love in their definition of holiness. They've missed the point of God's law. They think they've got God's law, they think they're keeping it, but they've missed the point. The sum of his law is love. And they don't have it. We have to ask ourselves, where are we in relation to God in our hearts? Do we do Christian things? But have no joy in God's presence? Do we do Christian things but have no compassion or love for our neighbors? The last time you heard of somebody converting, did you celebrate? Did you want to celebrate? Was there a joy in you like there is for the Father who is celebrating in heaven when his angels are singing around his throne, celebrating that someone has come home? Um, I'll admit that's a hard one for me. My instinct is not to go there to be glad, but to just kind of, oh, that's good. Uh, Roe v. Wade just fell. And I really hope that that makes room for uh, just laws in our country. And we should be praying for that, that we take care of mothers and children and families well. We do that well and thoughtfully. But as we consider that in, in the next several months, as all that is going on, can we ask ourselves, would we be so quick as this father in the parable to welcome someone and celebrate someone genuinely happy who has had an abortion? Or a doctor who has committed the act? Would we run to them? Would we thank God that they're here with us? I've said sinners over and over again. Uh, it's in the passage, so it just feels kind of natural. I'm not trying to make a big deal out of the word. But as I say that, as I say sinners, as you read it in the Gospels, it comes up a lot because the scribes and Pharisees are often throwing that word around. Um, who do you picture? When you say sinner, who do you picture when you're reading the Bible and you read over sinners? Who comes to mind? Do you ever see yourself? Do you find in yourself a tendency to try and impress God? 
Are you concerned about performing for God, not pleasing God with good works? That's not what I'm talking about. Are you concerned with performing for him, with winning something from him, with impressing him? Are you hurt when he doesn't recognize all that you do for him and bad things still happen to you? When things don't go your way or you don't get what you want because certainly you've earned it by now. What do we do if we said yes to any of these? Well, we look back at this parable where we see it's the same father who ran out to meet the son who had been gone, who comes out to the other son, the hard-hearted son, who's angry, and he says to him, come in. Come in with us. Come celebrate. Your brother was as good as dead, and now he's alive again. He's back. And I want you to come in with us. And the same father goes out to both sons. He entreats him, come, celebrate. It's not too late for us no matter where we find ourselves, no matter which son we maybe identify with more or where we find ourselves in a journey with God. His love for you is overflowing. Um, What is different about them? about these two sons in this parable. What is different about them is simply their response to God. Simply their response to their father. They're both sinners. They're both far from God in their hearts. One comes to his father and trusts him and is taken in by his embrace and the other refuses to come back in. if we would just admit to ourselves that we are desperately in need of God, that we are desperately in need of his grace and his mercy, he would meet us there. He is ready to meet you there, to embrace you, to celebrate that you are home. In the first two parables, the one who lost something searched for it. And as you know, I suggest, the father is searching for his, his son as well in the third parable. Uh, We said it earlier, but I want us to remember where this takes us ultimately. Jesus' search took him to the cross. Jesus' search for people took him to the cross to be with them, to die for them. It brought him into this world with suffering and grief and sadness all around it to take on a bunch of things he didn't deserve and live a perfect life in any way, and then die on the cross for us. That's where his search took him. That's the love of God for us. Uh, Let's pray, and then we will respond in song together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus here to search for us and find us out. Thank you that you are more ready to save us than we are to be saved. Lord, give us hearts to respond to you. Send your Holy Spirit to us, Lord, to trust you, to rest in you, truly to repent, to come to you, to turn to you. Lord, thank you that you have sought us out. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.